So Money episode 397, Kristen Bentz, the talented blonde. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, occasionally on this show, I love bringing back some old friends, professionals in the field, people that I may have lost touch with because, you know, you go your separate ways, but you still keep in touch sometimes on Facebook. And this person, I just love watching her and seeing her blossom. Um, we were working together very closely at thestreet.com years ago, and we were just the best pals there. And then we went our separate ways. And so on this podcast, you're going to hear us reconnect personally and also talk about work. But Kristen Bentz, also known as the Talented Blonde, is someone you need to know. She has a very strong voice. She is fun and fabulous. And she is someone that whether you're an entrepreneur, you're a single mom, or you're someone who's really interested in finance and Wall Street and retail... You want to watch Kristen. You want to listen to this podcast. Now, Kristen Bentz began her career in the luxury retail and hotel industry. Then she moved on to Wall Street, where she says she, quote unquote, survived working with Wall Street pros like Dick Fold and Jim Cramer. And Kristen used to work at Lehman Brothers. Remember them? Remember Lehman Brothers? She's an ex-Lehmanite, and she's a former managing editor of Real Money. Kristen has really made a name for herself for her ability to identify trends in the consumer lodging and luxury sectors. You can often see her on TV giving her advice. And she offers fresh and independent analysis of the financial markets and consumer sector for a lot of big name companies. Her work and insights can be found at talentedblonde.com. So with Kristen, you know, we're catching up. We haven't talked really voice to voice, I want to say in like five years. So we talk about where she's at now and how she's redefining her career path today after years of being out of the workforce full-time. You know, she uh, started over after a divorce. How did she do it financially, emotionally, while raising twins at the same time as a single parent? Great lessons for anyone who wants to take time off of their careers or is in the midst of doing that and wants to jump back in full force. We talk about the truth about being a female on Wall Street. You know, her personal recount of her days at good old Lehman Brothers. Pretty insane. Here is Kristen Benz. Talented blonde, Kristen Benz, welcome to So Money. Where, where have you been? 
for Anoush, a friend. I've been missing you. I've been missing you. I am, you know, on the West Coast and I'm in Phoenix or the phonics as we like to the call phonics? it. The phonics? Well, mm-hmm. so that's where you've been. Well, I've been happy to say learning about you through social media and the occasional, you know, in direct message, you know, we're, we're at least that close where I can direct message. We're way you. close. Oh, yeah. Um, but so happy for you. Things seem to be seem to be going very, very, very well. And for listeners, you know, Kristen and I go way back to a place called thestreet.com. Many of you know it. And she and I were both correspondents there. She covered retail. I covered personal finance. And it was it was fun while it lasted, right? That's that's <laughs> we, sitting across from your cubicle was like the best day of my life. Like we had so much fun. We did. We had <laughs> we had good, pure fun. And I remember one time, it was probably like 2008, 2007, mm-hmm. 2008, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, blogs were a thing, but they weren't what they are today. Obviously, it's ubiquitous. Everyone's got a blog. Every everywhere is a blog. But we were like, what's going to be our million dollar blog idea? Let's figure this out. Because listen, right. back then people were just putting up, you know, reposts of images from the internet of celebrities in their outfits from this Oscars. And suddenly they were getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers valued at millions of dollars. And I was like that. And that these are people who were like part timing it, you know. And right. Like, well, what's, so lame. What are we going to do? So we had a we bought a you. I bought the URL. getbangs.com. <laughs> it was brilliant. It, I mean, so, and so the pop culturists out there, I mean, bangs were huge in the mid 2000s. OK, I mean, like everybody was I think everyone goes through a bang phase. So I thought totally. it, I thought it ha- it was kind of recession proof like maybe it was hot then but it could sustain its hotness um throughout the decades and I I don't regret letting that URL go back into the ether <laughs> but it was uh it was exciting to like think about you know starting something new and so I think it's not a coincidence that the both of us left the street and still did things entrepreneurially like you left and started your own your own um Talented company, Blonde. Talented mm-hmm. Blonde, which I want to learn about. Well, tell me about Talented Blonde because some people, <laughs> you're, that's your um, alias on Twitter and Facebook and and so Instagram. Instagram. Everything. What is the idea behind Talented Blonde and um, why not Talented Brunette? True. And you are a talented brunette. Um, So when I started, this was post Lehman debacle, right? And my clients still wanted to talk about retail and consumer and luxury and all that stuff. Um, But I wasn't quite sure if I wanted my name out there for compliance reasons. Literally, that's like the nerd analyst in me. (laughs) So um, I originally didn't know where it was going to go. It was just going to be a blog where I would live and see if I got like any comments. And then I think it was James Altucher was li- reading it and then sent it to Kramer. Oh. And then that's how I got my job at the street. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that. So James Altucher discovered you. Yes, he's my fairy James father. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, Jim thought your work was amazing, which is which is great to to know and, and to feel that. Oh, Krames. Krames. He did indeed. So then we just kind of, I rolled into real money and then, then that whole like online video thing happened. And then next thing you know, you and I were like all over the place. I know. And so real money was the subscription newsletter and like data bank, right? For the street.com, mm-hmm. which was genius, by the way, like that model, they mastered that before anyone else figured that out. And like, they made money, which was like list. so amazing. Oh my God. So much money. Um, so back to Lehman, I mean, I was, I guess, too naive to really understand 
the whole impact that this, the Lehman collapse was having on this one woman named Erin Callen, CFO, mm-hmm. former CFO, who, by the way, just came out with a book about yes. finally a tell all about that whole horrible, horrible nightmare that she experienced and everybody else, by the way, it wasn't peachy for anybody else during the, uh, the whole financial debacle, but specifically, Erin Callen, Lehman Brothers, she was taken down, dragged down. I mean, she was the CFO, mm-hmm. but was it also anti-feminist? Like, what was going on there from your perspective? Okay. So, you know, for me, getting into Lehman Brothers was like being closer to God. I mean, at the time before everything blew up, I mean, it was like us and Goldman, you know, and that was the place to be. And you were cooler and smarter and just a better person by being able to work for this, you know, I call it the Death Star. <laughs> But being able to, you know, um, rub shoulders and all the traders I worked with, the analysts, all the people there are like the best and brightest. I mean, I never forgot my first day there. You know, people stayed to work late, like after the close. Like that just didn't happen from other investment banks that I had worked for in the environment. But for women, it was really tough. And although Lehman really tried to preach diversity and there were all these diversity teams you were supposed to be on with your, you know, female counterparts and and colleagues and whatnot, um, it was really tough to be a woman, especially I was on that trading floor. So I was over the wall um, advising analysts and traders at the same time. And you have to be bigger, brighter, smarter, faster, work longer, get there earlier, and you can't have a thin skin. And it was tough. It was tough to be a female there. And, and I loved my experience there. I love Lehman Brothers. I rue the day. Um, you know, Dick Fold's a, an interesting cat. Um, and, you know, I, I'm so blessed to have that in my, my career history and on my resume. And it's paid me back handsomely. But as a woman, you just had to, like, keep your head down and just bust your butt. And, you know, this poor woman, what she went through was horrific. But that happened on a daily basis to everyone. Like no one, no one was treated like, oh, lean in. Like <laughs> there, was, there was none yeah. of that. What's, what was the, so it was the opposite. Ooh, so if you had to come up with like a catchphrase, it wasn't lean in, it was. Lean like, over. Like eat it. <laughs> lean over. Oh man. No. No, seriously. And so, I mean, they had. Bend the, over. Yeah, you bend over. The women's bathroom was way like two football fields down on the trading floor oh, from yeah. the men's. So you and literally had like to parade. the 1970s parade. people. Surreal. Like, like 10 years was, ago. Yeah. So you had to walk around. And so you would essentially be parading yourself to go to the restroom on any given day. And then by the time you got back, you know, if you had, we all had Bloomberg terminals and you'd get like a little pop-up Insta chat from Bloomberg and it would be like gross traders on the floor, like making comments about you (laughs) to your face. I mean, it was just, and they'd be like sitting across the room waving at you, but making these awful comments. And you know, you have a choice. You can either do something about it and go through the proper channels or you just suck it up and handle it. And so I sucked it up and handled it. So I never had a problem at Lehman um, with that. But it just it definitely was not kind to the female gender. No. And I haven't read Erin Callen's book. I wanted to get her on so many. She's impossible to reach. She's only doing select interviews. I think I've seen her on mm-hmm. CNBC and that's it. Um, I don't know if it goes into the culture. I'm sure it does. But I would love for more of this to come out into the forefront. I mean, we have all these books that have been written about you know, uh, the millennials on Wall Street, the culture on Wall Street, the sort of like aftermath of the financial crisis. But like what you're mm-hmm. telling me wasn't again, it wasn't decades ago. It was relatively recent. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that 
if that's still well and alive, like that whole feminine, um, the cat, not the cat calling, but it's, you feel it. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I think now, I mean, it's such a different wall street. I mean, it's so, so so? different. I think, yeah. And I think that, well, I think that there's a lot more desperation and people are so grateful just to have a job at one of the banks. If they do that, I think a lot of that nonsense is less important. I mean, it used to be like, you know, it was almost like a sporting event, like something that guys did for sport, hitting on women, saying really gross stuff, you know, insinuating stuff. I mean, my first day there, um, they switched the meeting on me three times to like see if I was smart enough to like catch on to where they were, <laughs> you know, in my pod. And I mean, you know, I had that Elle Woods pink Chanel jacket on farnish, like blending in. <laughs> With like the furry pencil. Yeah, I love it. Why? Well, you know, they're like, were you from fashion? I'm like, yeah, a little bit. But um, you literally had to be smarter than your average bear. And it was a sport for them for fun, you know, to see if they could knock you off your game. So I think mm-hmm. there's a little less of that involved now on the street. Um, I don't think it's because of diversity. I don't think it's because of HR training. I think it's because you have to kind of knock off that type of behavior if you want to keep your job because there's just no time. And so what you just did there, that analysis, which is so true, but not what I think I've ever heard people kind of package that as like, oh, well, people would would credit HR training and they would credit, you know, uh, books like Lean In and um, which I'm sure have helped. But but your ability to see things that others don't, I think, is one of your um, calling cards, you know, like your talented blonde is a stat is built on the foundation that you have an analysis of particular industries that others just do not so brag a little bit about talented blonde for me and it's it's pivoted a little bit right yeah well you're never sure where you know something like this is gonna go it's kind of like twitter like it just kind of evolves on its own to how it services its you know followers or clients or guests or whatever we're using today so um what a lot of people don't know is aside from specializing in consumer spending consumer retail um i'm also pretty well versed in luxury and lodging specifically luxury hotels and i came out of the ritz carlton so Oh, I just, I don't know why I never talk about it. It just never seems sexy enough. But now that I'm starting to delve a little bit deeper, I think hotels are sexy anyway, but it's a fun sector to, to study and follow. And especially with the rise of millennials, as you know, and their travel habits, it's becoming a little bit more um, exciting. And my clients want to know my thoughts on that sector. So that's going to be a big part of this kind of new revamped talentedblonde.com, which I hope your listeners go and visit and check out and give me feedback. We just went live last week. Congrats. So, um, thank you. So there's going to be subscription based content, um, that you can have access to, um, or you can have a, a blonde on call and we can just do a little blonde on call consulting for various projects in those spaces. So we'll see what happens. And when you say hotel, I do mean any kind of lodging. Like, so obviously the Starwoods, the, um, those kinds of hotels, the Ritz Carlton's, you know, they are obviously where the money is, but then there's a whole economy of other kinds of lodging, whether it's like bed and breakfast or Airbnb, Airbnb. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and you know, even the latest merger with, um, Bang and Starwood that didn't happen. So I was covering that for a bit. So really not necessarily just the physical 
properties, but also trends in the industry, where money can be made, um, and the next best thing. You know, what's that going to be for millennials? So is it going to be all these, like, hipster um, boutique hotels that are popping all over, like the A-Loft, which is a concept by Starwood? Um, you know, there are all sorts of different trends that are happening that I think are really exciting. And also business travel. Because of the Wall Street fallout, business travel really fell off a cliff. It's coming back now. But it's interesting to see what firms approve, what stays, you know, meaning what um, what hotel lodging you can actually expense and where you can stay as a business traveler. So I think that's interesting, too. I was recently at a boutique hotel in Hollywood named Mama Shelter. Mm. And I think it comes from France. It co- they come from France. We are from France. <laughs> And it was like, I'm not, I am a millennial, but I'm also a Gen Xer. I'm like right on the cusp. This place was way too cool for me. Like, so in the lobby, they had gumball machines, which is kind of cool. Um, it had a very retro vibe. And then you go into the hotel rooms and I, I was in the suite and I didn't, I wasn't paying for it. It was through, uh, (laughs) work. Obviously I would never pick this hotel to begin with. I was shocked to find out what the nightly rate, I think the nightly rate was like $900 a night. Ridiculous. It was a, a, a nice size room. It was bigger than my first apartment in New York. But, of course. but then get this, like, so let's say I was sharing this room. The shower had no door. It was just like the bathroom was just like in the room. <laughs> it was just like, hi, shower and bath and toilet. Yes. I'm like, no, like, I like privacy. I need Even some privacy, only man. One, I will lock the door. <laughs> you and I have kids, man. You know, I got to like close that up. <laughs> it was a little too, I don't know. I don't know what you call that. Like just presumptuous. Like I'm, I'm going to like this, but I guess, um, it's, it's working for them. And, um, fun fact, a lot of pornography got filmed in that hotel. I later learned. So if you're interested in that kind oh, of how thing, nice for you. mama shelter, um, I always miss out Hollywood. All the good stuff, aren't you? You've got all the hookups. I do, without even knowing it, <laughs> apparently. Porn. It's all about porn. <laughs> Who um, know this? <sighs> well, we, I digress. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, what is trending in hotels. Like, uh, let's, let's put on, I'm going to put on my CNBC anchor hat now and ask about, like, what are some of the trends you're noticing that are working in the hotel industry that are Love new it. and exciting? Go. Okay, go. I'm on. Um, a lot of environmental green hotels are a very big thing with a certain consumer. They really want everything to be ethically sourced. Um, you know, they don't want their towels washed 10 times a day. They want low flow everything. Um, I understand those wants. Um, I just am not a fan because I don't want to like live in a tiki hut. <laughs> traveling on the road. Right. Five star <laughs> tiki huts. Mm. Exactly. That is not like, I don't want to live in a yurt. So I'm not a big fan of the yurt-inspired <laughs> hotel experience. Um, you know, right now, the um, Starwood has the, the Aloft Hotel, which is kind of like a more pared-down concept aimed at millennials. Um, it's less service-oriented when I say that. You know, there are lots of shots. So there's free Wi-Fi, lots of booze, and the rooms are very kind of – they're basically Ikea-ish. So it's Ikea-nice. Um, but they're popping up all over the place in, um, like New Orleans and very like urban areas. You wouldn't think they're really less resorty and they're more just like Charlotte, New Orleans, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, I'm act- hello. Yeah. I'm right here. Sorry, you got me. Keep, yeah. Keep going. 
Um, anyway, so concepts that are catering to millennials, they're also very experience friendly. So it's that whole, you know, um, Anthony Bourdain effect and Instagram culture. What's the Anthony Bourdain effect? Anthony Bourdain effect is I want to take pictures of my food. I want to share the experience of where I am experiencing this food. So I'm eating this in this restaurant in this country, but not only am I taking a picture of my eggs Benedict in my yurt, (laughs) I'm going to go with the yurt theme. Um, I'm sharing this, this local experience, this kind of, you know, this is, it's basically food has become fashion and that's a whole other thing that I'm writing on right now. So back in the eighties days of, you know, real men eat quiche and there was kind of this beginning, um, trend in cuisine to focus on it a little bit more. Now it's just completely with the invent of, you know, Instagram and obviously Anthony Bourdain traveling around eating, sampling, showing, um, and it's almost luxury in a way. So we're going less from an I show luxury to an I know luxury. Hmm. And it's, it's merely being there. That's the luxury effect of it. It's because I can take the time to be in this foreign country, traveling and doing and sharing this with the world with you. I just started following food in the air, one word on Instagram. Yes. Speaking of capturing images of food in locations. That's exactly what this is. You take a picture of your food. I guess it started as just food and then it got a little more sophisticated and it's food. And then you have to see the background of where you're at. And it's like the Eiffel Tower and, you know, the streets of Rome and uh, this Bob's Big Burger. Um, Exactly. (laughs) So I think you're totally spot on about that. Any any threats, headwinds from the Airbnbs of the world and the VRBOs? Well, something was interesting. So over the weekend, um, I met some new people and one of them works in the Department of Homeland Security out here in Phoenix. And so um, Airbnbs are having a big like a tough time with um, not necessarily fraud, but fraudulent dealings within these homes because they're really not regulated or regulated as much as the government would like. Um, Because I live in Phoenix and we're a college town with ASU here, what happens a lot is guys will rent an Airbnb home, like a beautiful Scottsdale McMansion. And then on Twitter, they put out that they're having these fantastic parties and all the girls drink free. Next thing you know, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> a really bad video. <laughs> oh no! So that's what he's been focusing on. So that's actually a drawback, um, you know. But uh, Airbnb with millennials, I think that that can really eat into the hotel industry because it's just very independent, and you can choose, you know, your own local experience versus what that hotel wants to show you. And I right. think that's going to be a very a big distinction between the VRBOs and the Airbnb. And hotels are going to constantly, they have to be nimble. They have to be fresh. Like I'm sitting in a W hotel right now. I had a meeting that I ran over in Scottsdale. It's one of my favorite properties. But even the W concept itself is getting a little long in the tooth. So you have to constantly innovate. And they they charge you for everything. I find it's the fancier hotels. They charge you for Wi-Fi. They charge you for a towel. I'm kidding. But, you know, I feel like they really nickel and dime you. And P.S., you're you're not paying a cheap rate. So... What is that all about? Oh, man. It's the whole um, the experience. When you have more money, you can pay more money. So luxury hotels seem to include a lot more, it seems. And that Wi-Fi thing is a really big deal because that's a huge moneymaker for um, most resorts. And so there's been a big pushback with the global traveler and the global business traveler. Like, we're not paying. 
So they expect that this should be free. And actually, um, one of my girlfriends is a W insider. So she's kind of like a super cool young millennial concierge and she handles moneyed millennials. And so I was asking her the other day, I'm like, what's your biggest challenge? Like, what are they asking for? And I laughed because she said they ask for everything and they want like free taxi rides. They want free Uber. They want free limos. And part of the success of some hotel chains, especially like the Ritz Carlton, for instance, and they're owned by Marriott, they empower their employees to fix a problem like up to five grand. It used to be five grand when I was there. It might have changed. Oh, yeah. but, but, so if something goes wrong, like I need my valet to be able to say, okay, you know, we're going to pay for the iPhone that we dropped. Or, you know, I'm going to clean your cashmere sweater that I spilled, you know, Irish coffees on, which did happen to me wow. <laughs> when I worked for the Ritz Carlton. But you want to be able to fix situations with discretionary money. I mean, because when you're a guest, I don't want to talk to five other people. I want the problem to be resolved. Yeah. And right? also it empowers your employees at the hotel. Of course, because they can fix the problem. So um, I see that becoming a, you know, kind of a, an aha moment with these hotels that want to become successful. They need to be able to do that. But also there's, you know, the, the guest out there that demands that type of um, attention and follow through and free stuff, for lack of a better word. And that's their MO all the time. So it's very difficult from a, a hotel perspective to know who's shaking you down and who really is, you know, a VIP that, you know, does merit that free limo. And that's always like, you know, boots on the ground. And that like, training and hotel training is so important, too. And you can see it with like the millennial flu that I call it. There's a lot of millennial flu that goes on in retail and hotels because they just don't care. Right. And that's something that it's just generational. Um, you know, that we have to, that I think hotels, retail, restaurants, they all have to work on that. It's been such a long time since I've gone to a real hotel. Cause I, I mean, when I travel, yes, but like to really vacation and choose a nice hotel, I don't even know what I would pick it at this point. I mean, I, I might've in the past gone with like, just, you know, the, the go-to like four star, five star, mm-hmm. but I don't know now, you know, the hotel that's in my life right now is the Furchester hotel. The Furchester hotel is a Sesame street production <laughs> and um, it's a smashing show. You should all check it out. It's got a great catchy tune and all the Sesame street players make appearances and that's what's all, going on. All right my kids want to do is watch the cookie monster commercial. They just, I just watch. saw that the other night. My husband's been telling me about it like for the past week and I finally caught it. It's so funny. Literally like that's all they want to do is to watch that and like bizarre cat videos on Facebook. That's. Oh, well, see, so the, the, it starts young with the cat videos. <laughs> that's why they're so, they're getting the 10 million. And by the way, if you, if you ever go on YouTube and you look up like, you know, a Thomas the Tank Engine or an Elmo video, those things have gotten like 50 billion downloads. I know. It's so sad, isn't it? Kids are huge YouTube consumers because it's oh, everything yeah. is like on repeat. Like they want to see everything 17 times. If only there were more hours in a day. Even if you work more than a 40-hour work week, it never feels like there's enough time to get everything done, especially when you love what you do. So if you're still making time-consuming trips to the post office, you need a better way to do it all. 
Use Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, get the postage you need the instant you need it. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer and printer. It's quick and easy. At just a fraction of the cost of one of those expensive postage meters, you'll save money as well. You can also score special postage discounts that you can't even find at the post office. My assistant and I have been running around the clock between my podcast and my CNBC show. Stamps.com makes it a lot easier to manage our day and not have to worry about how we're going to get to the post office. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com. Use my code SOMONEY for a special four-week trial offer, plus a special $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Head over to Stamps.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SOMONEY. That's Stamps.com. Enter SOMONEY. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about your money. Let's talk about your financial philosophy, your your money mantra. What is a talented blonde's money mantra? Oh, boy. This is, could like go on forever. Um, that's a really interesting question. So um, I'm a divorced single parent, now engaged to be married again. Um, and I think my money mantra, my money mantra is, is cover your ass. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my money mantra. Um, my money mantra is never quit, and don't ever be afraid to seek out every single alternative um, to deals and value. There's so many, you know, people in this country. We call them the underbanked, and I know you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're the personal finance guru that you are. Um, there's so many people that can't get a bank account, a traditional bank account anymore. And you have the rise of all these online banks, which I think are fascinating, and the bitcoins of the world, and the PayPal's of the world, and the Venmo. And until I went through a really horrific divorce, I didn't realize just how much of the world lives this way. And there's this kind of non-currency currency in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating for me to see just how little of the world actually still uses cash, um, actually still uses credit. And I think you have to really do your homework. And you and I talk about this all the time. And we always have in our sectors with what, what we do is seek out all those alternatives, no matter how um, wacky they may seem. You know, so I've gone through lots of stages of life financially and I've, you know, been really successful. And then I've been financially unsuccessful and I've had to kind of claw my way back. And I did that myself. And I think you have to be persistent. I think you have to check your ego at the door, especially if you're a single parent with kids. And just don't, I mean, exhaust every possible way to keep yourself afloat. Every possible thing you can give up. I think I I read a piece by James Altucher the other day about, you know, what are the commodities in your life? What can you maximize on? You know, can you rent out one of your rooms? And, you know, you did this with with your so money the very first time your Mm -hmm. book came out. You know, what can you do that you can make money on? So when I analyze a hotel, every bit of that square footage should be making money. And that's one thing that I obsess over when I'm in a hotel. Like, why is that like stupid area over there? you know, just holding like, you know, a jar of water. Why isn't that like a cool sushi bar? Why isn't that a Bloody Mary bar? Why bars keep coming up here? Do you notice that? (laughs) But um, (laughs) funny thing, Varnish. They're lucrative. That's why. Yeah. And so, you know, I sat there, you know, I had these two little babies. I moved out of New York. I went through divorce. I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? You know, they're two little kids. They don't go away. You can't give them back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So let's get specific. What did you do? And maybe we can mention that, you know, you were married, your husband, very rich, 
Um, right? Can we say that? Um, we can say his family is. Family was rich. Okay. <laughs> That's good to differentiate. But, um, but there was a lifestyle there, you know, and then you're not married anymore. And so transitioning from that, um, on top of perhaps legal fees and moving costs and all that, how did you make it work? As you said, how did you cover your butt? Um, I really just completely set the reset button on my life. I mean, I got on a plane. I left everything in New York. I came to Phoenix. I had no car. I lived for five years with two children who are now seven without a car. So I found an apartment that I could afford that was right on the light rail in Phoenix. And I thought, okay, this is where I can handle this. I can handle this. So that was the first part. And the fear of losing everything, once it happens, you're not scared of anything anymore. Okay. So like the worst thing in my life, I thought losing my husband, losing everything, losing my job, losing my money, losing my family, losing my dog, but I had my kids. And that kind of just emboldened me because you can't stop when you're a parent. Right. You just have to go forward. So I literally, you know, and it would be funny because there's such a stigma in this country um, with transportation, not when we're in the tri-state area, like in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. But when you come out West, if you don't have a car, you are looked at like, you know, you're a headless horseman. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that was just getting over the stigma. And I really became an urban mom. And I moved to an urban era, which a lot of people are doing in a smaller footprint apartment that I could manage. And honestly, I mean, my kids are so much better for it. So I had to take a big step out of my career for about five years mm -hmm. and completely pull myself back up, you know, manage credit or, or lack of credit. Um, and it was really, really hard. But once you pare down your life, and that means different things to different people. And once you pare down that life and you focus on, okay, so everyone's fed, everyone's clothed, everyone has medical care. Okay, I got this. Then you slowly realize that all of these things that you are spending money on and miring down, you really don't need. And then along with that comes, you know, all that other consumer stuff that I talk about. And it's not because I'm just watching people, which I do. It's because I lived it, you know? Yeah. And, and your family was in, is in Phoenix, like your relatives. My fam yeah, my family's in Phoenix. They're not exactly um, fantastic people. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I just completely shut the door on that. And, you know, your family's your family. You can't choose them. You can, you can choose your friends and, and who you choose to be with. So um, in my particular case, I had no support system. So I literally, I graduated from Arizona State, so I am familiar with Phoenix and I'm from here. But when I came back, it was like, you know, 20 years after I graduated from college. So it wasn't exactly like I had a support system here. And you know this, when you have small children before they hit, you know, kindergarten, you're not exactly meeting a lot of moms on the playground when they're teeny weeny tiny. Right. You know, you're in that like double stroller culture, which I was. So it's very isolating. And I think single parents, especially with younger children, and this is where social media and my brand really kept me going. It's the only thing I had. The only thing I had was Talented Blonde. And the only thing I had to connect me was social media. And so in some ways, it was the only thing you needed, though. You know, that was your parachute, your, your, your professional parachute. Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of time coming up with clients and they'll Google me or they'll look social media, whatever. And they'll say, Oh, you know, you're so good at this. 
it wasn't, you know, no one really teaches you how to be good at social. It's just something you either have or you don't have. And for me, for my mental sanity as a human, (laughs) I needed connection because clearly you and I are both extroverts, right? Like I don't have a problem striking up a conversation, Mm -hmm. but I do when I'm in an apartment with, you know, two 18 month olds and no car. Because you're not going anywhere. How did you do that? Can we just logistically talk about that? Because I can't even sometimes, my son is getting so heavy. He's 30 pounds now. Like I can't even carry him from one one room to the other. You had two kids, no wheels. Twins. Twins. No wheels. And literally, well, the only wheels I had are that damn, I called it the Bobopedic, the Bob stroller, double stroller. Honestly, like that (laughs) saved my life. That's like the best deal, you know, better than like, you know, the Bob Stroller. The Bob Stroller. The the Viking 3000, you know, that has like. It's got like shock absorbers. Who knows what that thing had. But honestly, because, you know, it's 110 degrees out here a lot of the time. And, you know, you can't just be like chilling with two babies and like walking to the grocery store when it's 115. So I learned about, you know, Safeway did delivery at that time. And and remember, this is Phoenix, so we're not exactly a cutting edge city. In many ways, we are. But when it comes to um, any type of like high rise culture, apartment culture, ain't no delivery here. So I, you know, that's the one thing I didn't have was access um, to fresh food. So you find farmer's markets and you switch the hours of your day that you're going to do errands with your small children. And you just really get to know them because we were together all the time and that's all we had, you know, and you seek out, like I found the one like downtown urban daycare center where I could like drop the kids off for like, you know, maybe a couple hours a week just so I could be sane. Yeah. You know, go to oh the dentist, gosh. you know, all that, all those little things that we do, you know, for ourselves that are so important. Not that I had the discretionary income to do so, but you just have to start researching. And I would call everybody and I would ask everybody and you get really creative. So out here, because we have the commodity out here for us is the sun, right? Mm-hmm. So no car, two kids. I mean, I can tell you every type of water game, pool game, <laughs> water balloon game, bubble. The best sunscreen. <laughs> best sunscreen ever and you literally and with twins like it's two people in the same stage at the same time so when they're teething they're doing the same when they're like you know taking everything out of the drawer it's the same when they're climbing on stuff it's the same so you literally have to be ready for the next 15 minutes like what am I going to do in the next 15 minutes with these kids and so I got really creative I'm I'm a really creative urban mom and now things are in in a better you know, stage of their life. And, and I can look back on that time and say, I survived it. And really I saw a quote the other day that, you know, when you go through things, well, did it kill you? So it didn't kill me. Did it suck? Did I have to like figure out what the hell I was going to do? Yeah. Um, but that's over now. And so now I know, now I know. And you know, you just never story. Well, you just, you know, it's not fun, but it's, it's my, it's my story. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not surprised you were you were able to make that your story because you're such a strong person. And that's even before any of this happened. I just you just know people, you know, you're like, that's a strong woman. That's a strong man. They can they can deal with adversity like no other. So um, good. Good for you. Can I say not good for you, but (laughs) good story. Good job. <laughs> Good job. I don't even know what to say. No yeah, it did suck. It's those it's those kind of stories, man, that become your trademark. You're like superwoman now. Like if you were oh. strong before that, like what are you like now? You could probably walk oh. on fire. 
I could see twins and like, oh man, I, yeah, I'm pretty feisty now. But the thing is, everyone goes through their stuff, you know, whether it's divorce or death or sickness or, you know, financial ruin or not ruin. I mean, everybody has their things that they go through. And it's just how you handle it and react to it. And, and it's tough. But there's so many um, single parents out there that need support and need help. And that's the funny thing. You never really know who your friends are until you go through a situation like this, you know, where you're not the cool one anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have the bank account to support you anymore. And it's really interesting to see which ones, you know, which friends of yours are supportive and which never call, never ask. And I remember those people, trust me, mm-hmm. and I will remember them forever. And I think that is a lesson in business, in personal finance, um, in relationships that deserves, you know, some remembrance. Because, like, you know, people always love you on the way up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love you when there's cocktails. Exactly. What about a habit that you have that helps you with your finances? Um, the meter's always running. You know, the meter's always running. I mean, there were times when I really would have, you know, a set number in my bank account that was like $25. I'm not kidding. (laughs) So you always have to constantly be able to choose, um, you know, what's discretionary and what's non-discretionary. And that's fluid, as you know, for everyone. It just depends on the situation that they're in and, you know, what means the most to them. You have to really be able to pare down what you want, um, what you need and what you don't need. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was all about my kids. So, you know, you just focus on your children and kids. Once the needs were met, then everything else was fine. And as parents, I think that's all you really want in life is that your kids are taken care of. And that means different things to different. Um, but to me, like there literally, there was no discretionary income other than food, clothing, shelter, and maybe some fun stuff, you know, to keep them entertained. Bubbles. Bubbles are the best. I think yeah. kids entertain with bubbles for like a year. <laughs> Sometimes the best entertainment is boredom. You know, just uh, let them be sure. bored and they'll figure it out. My son would just play with pots and pans. He played with chopsticks yesterday for like 30 minutes. Dude, they love the chopsticks. I mean, Paper clips, binder clips. Had I known this, toys? I would just have, yeah, I would have lifted stuff from the street.com back in the day had I known. Well, to simply answer you, just credit, no credit cards. No, you don't need them. Cut them up. Don't use them. Wait yeah. until wait until you can actually, you know, rehab your credit, you know, get one secured credit card. You know what? Like there were so many things available at that time. So, you know, Amex serve all those prepaid cards that have like a little kind of American Express bounce back to it. I think Blue Dot was one of them. Walmart mm-hmm. offered them. And this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about that I never knew because I never needed to know. Well, let me tell you, honey, I did need to know. So there are all sorts of um tools out there for folks that are underbanked, that are, you know, not traditional savers and don't have access to. And that's another book you could write. Oh my God. You're gonna have to help me with that girl. <laughs> you're so smart. <laughs> but you have all the knowledge. <laughs> well, it was hard to freaking learn it. I will tell you that. But mm-hmm. once you know, and then it just, it made me a better consumer analyst. Because you can't just say, oh, I'm a luxury, you know, yay, and I'm going to, you know, focus on rich people and what they do. And that's all well and good. But, you know, there's a, such a big portion of this country that is not rich and they matter and they spend and they spend money. Look at government transfer payments. Right. Look at food stamps. That money is green, whether, you know, you're a proponent of, of allowing folks to go on that when they need it. I needed it. And, you know, I'm proud to say that I learned a lot about that. And there are people that abuse benefits that the governments give them and there are people that don't. I was one that didn't. 
Well, and your kids don't know, they don't remember when they were playing with bubbles as opposed to, you know, they still want to play with bubbles. Dolls. Exactly. No, you have to be a good parent and you have to be able to put on a good front. And I am the queen of that, <laughs> as you know. So no, and they, they didn't know. I mean, we were living in a studio apartment. I think at one point we were sleeping on an air mattress. I am not too proud to share that with you. And because um, I mean, literally, I left everything behind in New York, got on a plane and came here. Wow. So everything that I acquired, you know, was done the hard way, unfortunately, but it just needed to be done. And now, you know, I'm safer and I'm better and I'm more grounded for it. And it's something that I went through. And I'm proud to say that I came out the other side. A lot of people don't. Yeah. And a lot of people can't recover for something like this, because in addition to, you know, having the responsibility of children, you also don't have that financial, you know, floor underneath you. So you lose both. And it's very easy for people to completely go down the rabbit hole. And thank God, you know, for thank God that that I didn't. Um, Yeah, there are all sorts of things that you can do. And I think that this country, you know, we're kind of rising to the haves and the have nots. And a lot of people don't understand what it's like to have not and what one must go through to be um, successful in this country. And you have to know both. You know, it's it's not all what is it? It's not all rosé. And there's a line there from some reality show. (laughs) It's not all diamonds and rosé, but it should be. You need to know the other half. Yeah. I mean, there is a, I'm going to botch this too, but there was a, there is a saying that's like, there is a a richness in having experienced what it's like to be poor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so true. Let's do this. Let's, um, let's end on a fun note and talk about some hypotheticals. So I'm going to start a sentence and then you finish it. The first thing that comes to mind. Got it? It's going to be good. Okay. Yeah. So I know you'll be good at this. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks. The first thing I would do is get lipo. Yeah. What? <laughs> get. Okay. Never before on this show has anyone actually said that, but they probably wanted to. <laughs> you always see, I'm always going to give you the real answer. How much is lipo? Shirabi. I don't know. It's not that much, but then I would do like a whole mommy makeover too. <laughs> <laughs> and then we could have lunch. Could and then we could have lunch. lunch. Yes. All right. I like that. What's okay. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is uh gee, my uh my publicist and my nanny yes you have a publicist yes it's fabulous girl everybody needs one <laughs> when i splurge like big roll like you know big big mm-hmm. rolling what's uh what's your biggest splurge oh god shoes yeah what are you wearing yeah. these days right now i'm <laughs> right now i'm wearing flip-flops oh <laughs> <laughs> Right now I'm wearing Javiana's flip-flops, but um, if I'm like, you know, doing a twirl or doing a work thing or something like that, Christian Louboutin, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. They're not comfortable though. They're horrible. I just sold it's, a pair online because I just, no, I, I like more I than that with mine Because they are like the cruel shoes. They are torture. They're torture. So I'll tell you a story. When I was pregnant and like a million pounds, I, you know, the only even like shoes didn't fit, but I was not able to fits. get my my big fat feet into some Christian Louboutins and I bought them because I think one, I wasn't thinking straight because I was just no hormonal. And then I was like, nothing else fits, but these look great on my feet. So I bought them and never, and then I was like, what am I thinking? I never, I wore them once and then I just sold them for like 80% of what I paid. It's not bad. I think I need to sell mine. P.S. If you were 
pregnant and got your feet into lubes, like I applaud you because I now you so know why I bought them, right? My nose was pregnant. I mean, <laughs> it was just horrific. So I totally feel you on that one, and that is a purchase I can support. Yes, and then, thank you, and then a, a resale that you can support too. Uh, all right, yeah. one one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is uh spending money on divorce attorneys is so expensive because it is final. Hmm. Is that why? Yeah. Divorce is expensive. You know why? Because it's done. You're not a recurring customer. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully not. Hopefully not jinx me for I'm not jinxing you. I mean, I guess that was a possible jinx, what I just said, but <laughs> I wasn't referring to you. I was referring to the industry. And we didn't say buy me Coke either. So it's not even like a <laughs> right, real jinx. So let's move on. <laughs> when I donate, I like to give to blank because? I always like to give to children's charities because they're the ultimate. I mean, you know, you got to invest in them. And so I'm constantly giving to, to kids charities. I dreamt that I adopted a child the other night. You did not. Yeah, and then I kept seeing things about adoption the next day. I've, I think I have clairvoyance. I've, you I've, may. I've dreamed things or thought of things during the day, and the next day it materialized. It was. I mean, it, I need to start dreaming about lottery numbers. I think is what I need to do. Um, definitely, you need to pursue that for sure. But I'm not against adoption. I think that might be in our stars. Who knows? We'll see. To be continued. Babies are always good luck. Yes, they are. They're good fortune. They bring good fortune. We do. All right. And I'm, last but not least, I'm talented blonde Kristen Benz. I'm so money because. I'm so money because I don't quit. I love that. You don't quit at all. You keep persevering. We look forward to seeing you on social, but also checking out talentedblonde.com. And you have a forthcoming wedding in your future. Congratulations. What a great, great way to end this show. That's third coming. <laughs> third coming. What, well, fourth, fourth coming is not indicative of any like. It sequence. is not jinx worthy. No, it is. <laughs> it is forthcoming. Third time's a Hopefully charm. Hopefully, you'll be there. Exactly, it is. Good things come in threes or something. Um, maybe I'll see you in South America, where this is going to be where the party's at. The nups. I think you should be there. Well, I'll look for my invite. And if not, it's okay. I'll, I'll see it on, on social. And um, <laughs> <laughs> But in all seriousness, congratulations. You, so deserved. And thanks for making time to come on the show. Anytime, you know, I adore you 100% because you're so money, honey. Thanks so much to Kristen Benz, Talented Blonde, for stopping by. If you'd like to learn more about Kristen, her website, again, is talentedblonde.com. She's also on Twitter at Talented Blonde. She is one of the most provocative and prolific people on Twitter. So if you want to enjoy your time on Twitter, follow Kristen at Talented Blonde. And as always, if you want to reach me, head over to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and that's how you can send me a question for the Friday episodes. And if you miss anything from this show or previous episodes at somoneypodcast.com, you can find the transcript. You can obviously get the audio and all the archived goodies. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. See you right back here tomorrow. And in the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.